Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. seated. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I get the honor of bringing God's word to you today. Thank you, Brian, for reading that. That was a long passage, and thank you to our worship team, too, for leading us in worship. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come to you, and we ask that you speak through me. God, my words are worthless, but your words are worth more than we could ever imagine. So, Lord, I pray that you will speak through me, that you'll open the hearts and the minds and the ears of your people, that they'll hear from you, God, that it will transform us all more into the likeness of your Son, and God, that you'll just move in our midst. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you've been with us for any amount of time um, or been watching online and, and just been going through this journey of this new series that we started back in January, Lest We Turn, we started in the book of Joshua. And... During this time that we've been in Joshua, what we've seen is probably maybe the, one of the greatest periods of time for Israel as a nation because things were going well for them. If you're familiar with biblical history, like you know that the nation of Israel was in the wilderness after they came out of slavery from Egypt. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. Things had not gone well for them because they weren't obedient. And then they crossed the Jordan when Joshua takes charge of the country. And really, except for one small mishap, they had known nothing but victory. That's all they have known. They only had one mishap when a man named Achan decided he was going to steal some of the spoils from the war and keep them for himself, then their next battle does not go well. They take care of that and wipe out Achan and his family, and then they move on, and all they've known is victory. And Joshua has led them as the Lord has led Joshua. And so they've been victorious in all that they've been doing. And Joshua now, as this text has said, he's, he's old, he's, he's, toward, he's towards the end of his life, and he's going to give them one last charge, one last motivational speech before he passes away. And then they're, in a sense, not on their own because they have the, they have the Lord, they have God with them, but they, he won't be there to lead them and keep them on track. Probably most of you in this room, you've had some kind of motivational speech given to you at some point in your life. Someone's, whether you're an athlete and a coach gave you a motivational speech. I had joked earlier in the first service, my old wrestling coach from the time I was a little kid all the way through high school, he was here. He gave me all kinds of speeches, some motivational, some just chewing me out for not listening to him. But all of us, we probably have gotten some type of motivational speech, whether from a coach or a parent, maybe you're in the military and you've been charged to go and accomplish something. As I was writing this, this is what came to my mind, was the TV show, not the movie, Friday Night Lights. No, you guys, like some people, come on, man. Like this. So here's the deal. In that movie of Friday, or in the show, Friday Night Lights, Coach Taylor would always end his speeches with this. He would say, clear eyes, full hearts. Really? Yard, Listen. Thank you. A couple. We have one person last service. Side note. We're just going to pause real quick. I don't know what you watch on TV and don't be like, I'm reading books. I don't watch TV. I know you're watching TV. 
Just stop whatever you're doing, whatever you're into right now, and just go watch Friday Night Lights. I don't even know what streaming service it's on, but it will be worth your time. It's, besides The Office, it's one of the top shows ever, okay? So here's the deal. I, was, I get pumped up. I, was, I went and watched YouTube videos of Coach Taylor coaching his team at halftime and telling them that, you know, they're saying, hey, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And they would all say that. I, was, I would have tackled one of you right then in that moment as I was watching that because it got me pumped up. But here's the deal. They could lose. They could lose. That speech, that slogan, that saying, which is awesome that none of you know, like, <laughs> it still would leave them in a spot where they, were, they could lose. They was not guaranteed victory. But when Joshua is giving this motivational speech, they were guaranteed victory because God was on their side. It was, they were, all they had to do was really was clear eyes, full hearts. They couldn't lose because if they kept their eyes on the Lord and their hearts full of his laws and his ways, victory was theirs because victory is God's. And so that's basically what Joshua's telling them. Just keep your eyes on the Lord. Remember all that God has done for you. He's not done. Stay the course. There's going to be sometimes you're going to want to dabble with the rest of the nations and, and look to their gods, but don't do it. Just stay the course because if you, if you don't stay the course, things aren't going to go well for you. You need to trust God. Now, here's the deal. We are grafted into the nation of Israel in a sense, and that's a whole different sermon and, and different things to talk about, but this specific commands was for the nation of Israel in this time. But there are definitely principles that we can glean from this and apply to our own lives and as a church and even as a nation, okay? So here, there's going to be four things I'm going to show you. And the first thing is this, is never forget what the Lord has done. That's where Joshua starts off. He tells them, don't forget what God has done. He wants them to, to review and look back at all the things that God has done in his goodness for them as a nation, See, because if they would just remain faithful and watch as God would continue to force people out of these other nations, these pagan nations, he was going to continue to do this. They just had to remember, remember what he's done, and don't forget and just keep doing it. They would continue to experience victory after victory, just as we can follow Jesus, victory after victory. So see, God, he's done so much for them. We see it in like verse 3, he talks about it, verse 4, and verse 8, he's, he's reminding them, look back, look back. And if for us... I mean, you think they cross the Jordan. He dries up the Jordan River. They go and they march around walls of Jericho, and the walls just fall down because they blow trumpets and yell. That was, that was God. That wasn't them. And, and then he sends down hailstorms with pinpoint precision and takes out the enemy and kills them like a sniper. He's, got, he's throwing people into confusion. Victory after victory, they are successful. And, he, and Joshua just remember this. Remember what they've done. In verse 14, he says this to him, and now I'm about to go to the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Nothing the Lord sets in motion fails. Nothing. It's all successful. He doesn't set it in motion and then it crumbles and he's like, oh, how'd that happen? What the heck went wrong? I can't believe this didn't work out the way I planned it. Everything he sets in motion works out and that's what Joshua was telling them. This has worked out. You know it in your heart. Everything God promised you, he's a promise keeper. He's, he's met those promises. He's fulfilled those promises. Don't forget. 
And so today, think back for yourselves. Where has the Lord been good to you? Where have you experienced the richness of his mercy and his covenant grace so far in your life? See, because here's the deal. Think of this. Where were you when God found you? I'll tell you where you were. You were dead in your sins. You were an enemy of God. That's where he found you. And then think about the circumstances of him saving you from that position of dead in your sins, no life in you, enemy of God. Think of that. And then the assurance that you have that your sins are forgiven. Like we can start to remember and think about all this stuff that is good. And then he's increasingly delivering you from the world, from yourself, from your flesh. He's working in all these ways. You're growing in your grace and your godliness. And God has continually shaped you into the likeness of his son, Jesus, if you're here today and you're a Christian and born again. So that's, that's the goodness that we can look back and remember that. So then when we're going forward and times are hard and we're like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if, I, if this is going to work out for me. Sin's getting tempting. We can look back to the goodness of God and think, no, no, he's done all this. I want to stay this course. I want to stay going down this road. But when we forget what the Lord has done, we start to move into some dangerous territory, some dangerous ground when we look to something new to meet our needs, to give us safety, to make us feel like we belong. But the, really, the reality is that anything that is not God is just an imposter and it will not satisfy you. And that's the next thing I want you to see is disobedience will result in a dissatisfying life. It will result in a dissatisfying life. You think, well, I can dabble in sin. I can play with this a little bit, but it will not go well. The warnings from the nation of Israel could not be more clear. He tells them over and over again that if you take your eyes off the Lord, it will not go well. Verse 13, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they will be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Now, I'm going to give you a little flash forward into three weeks or so into the future when we get into the book of Judges. You're going to see that that's exactly what happens. The nation of Israel, Joshua's gone, and they start to dabble in sin and want to be like the other nations, and those other nations will overrun Israel. They will, they will be a trap. They will be there. Eventually, Israel goes back into slavery. Like, this is not going to go well for them, and they think that it would satisfy them. Whoa, their gods look nice. Their gods look, they, I like the way they do this. I'm going to do this. And all of a sudden, they will be in a spot that they never wanted to be, and it will not be satisfying Joshua's telling the people, like, this will not be good. You'll be wiped out, driven from the land. He tells them again there in, in uh, verse 15, but just as all the good things the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. Like, this is a clear warning. Like, this, your disobedience will... And dissatisfying is not even really a strong enough description of how bad it's going to be, but it is a reality that things will go bad. And he tells them early on, be strong. Be strong to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. And then down a few more verses in verse 11, he says, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. How often do we put our strength towards our obedience to fighting sin? 
How often do we really put all of our strength into it and say, you know what, there's some areas in my life I struggle with, and I'm going to put some roadblocks up. I'm going to put some effort into this because if I don't, my tendency is to drift into this kind of sin, and it always seems like it's going to satisfy me, but it never really does. It leaves me dissatisfied, and then my life is a mess. I know where it's going to go. I can't do this. I need to put some things up in that. And then are we careful to love Jesus? He says, be careful to love the Lord your God. Are we careful to love Jesus? I think when I was trying to process this, I think really the careful to love God comes first because out of a love for God, then the strength to be strong, to be obedient to God would flow from a love of God. It's, it just goes in connection that because of love for God, then I should desire to put my strength towards following his ways. That should be what I want to do. This warning is clear for Israel that they, if they don't do this, they don't do what they've commanded, Nothing good awaits them. Nothing good awaits them. My daughter, Jocelyn, she's 17. She, she got a new boyfriend. Um, I'm pretty strict. I've been told by some people in our student ministry that I'm also very intimidating and probably have scared this kid. I don't really care. Maybe I am intimidating. But here's the deal. They're, her and this new boy, they're dating. She's at church with him right now. He came to church here last week, so I, I was like, all right, fine. Get a church with him. So he came over to our house on Friday, and I, I work out in my garage, okay? So people probably already think I'm a little nuts. I'm out there, you know, throwing weight around, and this kid pulls up in his car, and he gets out, and he's going to go to the front door. And I said, uh-uh, come here. So he walks in, and I'm hoping I had, like, enough of a pump already going that I was looking, you know, bigger, got kind of jacked. And I said, so what's going on, man? We haven't really talked. And he goes, yeah. And I said, listen, here's the deal. If you do anything dumb, this will not end well for you. He goes, oh, okay. I said, no, seriously, it will not end well for you. Like, it, y'all would probably have to bail me out. But here, like, I know his dad, too. And I was like, I'll, I'll call your dad. So, do, like, you're a Christian, right? He goes, yeah, I go, then don't do anything that would be a sin either. Just think that very clearly. And at the same time, like, Jocelyn comes out of the, into the garage because she was, like, so ecstatic. Her boyfriend's there, and she's like, what's going on? I go, what do you need? And she's like, and he goes, yeah, we're talking man to man. I was like, no, we're talking man to boy right now. <laughs> like, this, this relationship could be satisfying and have some good relationship, but if you don't, if you're disobedient, this will not be, it will be dissatisfying. Like, you would be dissatisfying, like, so much I could say about that. But the reality is, is that's how it can be for us. If we think that we can have this relationship with the world that's going to go bad, God's much more serious than a dad in his garage. Like, he will straight up drop the hammer on us. And if we've never given our lives to Christ, like, there's a whole bunch more that awaits us. The wrath of God is way worse than the wrath of David, okay? And that's the reality is that God, he, he does punish them. Because later on, we're going to see, like, when they don't follow him, he sends the nations as a punishment, as that trap as that snare as those thorns in their eyes he sends them as a punishment and he he warned them he gave them a clear warning this is coming you will perish off the land there is nothing satisfying that will last when you're disobedient to the lord because it will never be satisfied apart from jesus but how often do we think that we're going to be right we'll look at stuff and we think man i'll find greater satisfaction in 
blank. You fill it in, and you, you know what that blank is for you. It could be anything. We, we always think, well, I'm going to, if I have more, you know, if I commit myself to money, or I like to be in control, or I'm going to watch porn, or I'm going to be, I like just, I just want to be liked by everyone, or I want the next cool, shiny thing. It doesn't complete us. It leaves us just destroyed at the end. You, you become someone you don't want to be, People around you can tell that there's something off and, and they don't even know what it is per se, but it's because you have become so dissatisfied with the things that you have clinged to because you haven't clinged to the Lord. Those things will leave you empty. But the problem is when push comes to shove, that's what we go to. It, for some reason, it's just our, our natural inclination. We cannot be careful enough, it seems like. We can't be strong enough to stay in line with God's words and the very things that Joshua warns them to do they end up doing and the warning was clear and simple that if you do this you basically become an enemy of God and to be in a relationship with the world is to be an enemy of God verse 10 Joshua he starts to warn them of this he, he's telling them even one person one man of you puts to flight a thousand since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you see when Achan sinned it brought ramifications for the whole nation. They went to war, then against AI, 36 people died, and they had to take care and ram, you know, uh, get rid of that sin. They wiped out Achan and his family. They're, they're stoned to death and set on fire, and then a pile of stones piled on top of them. They wanted to clear that out because that made them an enemy of God. And Joshua, he's warning, this is what's going to happen. It will, it will be the same thing. If you go off marrying these other nations people and having marriages with them. If you start to take their gods and their idols and their practices, this will not work out for you. You will be an enemy of God. And I don't think we see it that way. We think that we can dabble in sin. We, we can get just close enough to the edge that it will be okay and that we can just play around with this and God's not really going to care. He does care. It's dangerous. Have you ever seen those people like on social media or on websites where they, they try to do those, those photos that are like real cool, like they'll hang off a cliff or something, they're like kissing or, or like on the side of a train or just something stupid? Like if any of you have ever done that, like you got problems. But so like it's dangerous. Like it's satisfying maybe in the moment, but I guarantee like 10 years later, they look at that and they think, what were we thinking? We could have died. I am way too big of a chicken to do anything like that. But that's how we deal with sin. Like, we think we can get real close to it, and it's going to be all right, that we can dabble in it. But verse 11, he tells us, be careful. Verse 12, don't turn to these nations. Verse 13, Lord will drive them out if you, if you continue my way. But if not, they're going to trap you. Don't marry them. Don't associate with them. Don't worship their gods. We can't think that it's going to be all right, that we can just be part of the world, and God's going to be okay with it. But that's how we've became in this country for sure. Like we just think that we can have parts of the world and just enough of Jesus that we're not gonna go to hell and that's not what he's called us to do at all. But the appeal and the attractions of, of sin and of these other gods, it's big. It draws us in. We, we want some of it. We look at it and like, man, that's so tempting. I just, I just want a little bit. It's like, you know, me walking past a, like a bag of gummy bears. I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like I know that I don't, shouldn't eat them, but... I'm going to, like, that's really, like, how it works. Like, and we see it, and we're like, I, just, I want it so bad. And, and they, Joshua knew. He's like, don't do this. You will not be 
satisfied. You'll become an enemy of God. Listen to these scriptures here. In Ephesians 2, verse 3, it says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, hear this, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's who we were apart from God. Okay, so when we're disobedient, we're, we're saying, no, I'd rather be a child of wrath. 1 John 1, 6 through 7, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. So if we're saying that we have fellowship with him, but we're walking in an opposite way in the darkness, we're liars, we're still enemies of God. We can't say that we're walking with him, yet nothing reflects that. It looks different. 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of, the, of God abides forever. And then James 4, 4 could not be more clear you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I, we don't take these verses serious. We really don't. We think, well, I can do this, and, and it's going to be okay because it's just a little sin. It's not that big of a deal, but it's a slippery slope. I don't think Israel, as soon as Joshua died, just turned completely around and just went and did whatever they wanted. It was a slippery slope, and what happens is we say, just like they did, we'd rather do our own thing because we love the sin more than we love Jesus. We do. We, it's, it's a a problem that we have that we love the sin and we say that we love Jesus we'll sing songs about it but when it comes right down to it it seems like we love the sin way more than we love Jesus and that cannot be we rather have the control the dating the um, dating the unbeliever or the tv show or the movie that leads us in the wrong direction we rather have sex outside of marriage we rather watch the porn we rather get wrapped up in the addictions, alcohol or drug. And here's the big one is this, is that for all of us, what we have a tendency to do is for us that are parents, where we've become disobedient to God, is we're more worried about parenting so that we can get social media likes than we are parenting to put our kids in a direction of following God. That's what we do. We start to, oh man, this birthday party's Pinterest quality. Let me put it on Instagram. But yet you ain't told your kids about Jesus. And see, that's what we do. We come just, and then we can't figure out why our kids don't love Jesus. Well, I'll tell you why. Because you were more worried about your Facebook post than you were pointing your kid to Jesus. That's the problem. We want to be satisfied, and we find the wrong things to be satisfied in. And it makes us an enemy of God. And it leaves us a mess, and it leaves us dissatisfied. And then we wonder, like, why isn't things going well for me? Why are things going bad? I can't figure it out. It's the same reason why. It's because we don't love Jesus the way that we should, and things just start to go haywire for us, and we don't want to be an enemy of God. We want to be on his side, and he's given us the opportunity. It's not like it's hard to do. We just give our lives to him. We follow him. We're obedient to his commands, and he's already victorious. He's already doing what he said he would do. So see, sin will suck you in and make you a slave to it. It'll make you an enemy of God, but it doesn't have to be that way because this is the biggest truth you can walk away with today is this is no man can stand against the Lord. 
Check out verse 9 with me. It says this. It says, For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. This verse is just, I could have just preached this verse and been happy to do so. No man has stood against you to this day. It's not that Israel, they were that mighty. It's that they had the Lord God, the creator of all the universe, on their side. And no man can stand against him. And because of that, they, were, they, were, they had the ultimate victory. They had the ultimate encouragement. Joshua could have just said that and just said, hey, listen, remember all that God's done for you? No man can stand against you. I'm going to die now. Peace. And been done. And they would have, if they would have just remembered that and stuck to it, no one could have stopped them because God cannot be stopped. And that's what we have to realize is if we're standing with Jesus... There's not a man, there's not a sin, there's not a kingdom, there's not a nation that can stand against us, not Satan. But we don't think about it that way. They knew nothing but victory, and if they would have stayed the course and stayed in the step of God, that's all they would have ever known. But the reality is, is that there's a better victory awaiting us. Like, he's given us victory over death because of his victory over death and sin. And so our ultimate victory is eternity with him forever. Like, that's it. Not just for a week of, like, feeling good or a year of, like, prospering, but an eternity with God. That's the ultimate victory because he has conquered death and sin. That's what we've been promised. But here's, here's the problem is that we don't believe it. We, we think that there's some government or empire that's going to take us out. Do you realize that every government, every empire, every kingdom, every person who's ever tried to stop God's people, they don't exist anymore, yet we do. We're standing here today, the church, and the Roman Empire is a tourist attraction in Europe. They tried to burn Christians on sticks as Roman candles, and who still exists? The church, not the Roman Empire. It doesn't matter who tries to wipe us out. We continue to sing in the face, praising our God that we're victorious because of him, and it doesn't matter. The church is still here, but all those kingdoms have fallen. So when people say to us, don't you want to be on the right side of history? Yeah, I do. I want to be on God's side, and if that doesn't match your narrative, too bad. Like, really, too bad. Like, we don't need to be like, oh, I need to, let me get in line with you guys because I want to make sure that it all lines up. No. We're victorious with God, and so we stay on track with him. If you're on God's side, then you are on the right side of history. But here's the problem. We don't believe it. We don't. Because what has happened is Christians right now, they're up in arms. They're like, oh, man, this Equality Act bill. This could be the end of the church in America. What are we going to do? All of our religious liberties are going to be stripped from us, and we're not going to be able to do this or that. Listen, more powerful things than a bill has tried to stop the church. I ain't saying it's not going to be bad. I'm not saying that it's a good bill. I'm just saying it's not going to stop us. It can't stop us. We'll continue to gather in one way or another and worship him. So should we be a good citizen of America? Yeah, call your senators. Tell them, I don't like this. Be a better citizen of the kingdom of God and pray, but then just know it doesn't matter. We're victorious. We cannot be stopped because of that. But it's sad because as this starts to happen, it's a trend, and we start to think, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to wipe out the church. It's not going to wipe out the church. It's going to wipe out the seeker-sensitive consumer church, but it's not going to wipe out a gospel-centered church that's marching forward by the commands of God. 
but we see what's going on in, in the country, and then we start to give in. Bethany Christian Services, they're, the, they're the, probably the largest adoption agency in the world. Um, recently, because of this, they've gave up. They've done exactly what they, Israel was warned to do. They turn to these remnants of the world and want to be like the world. And so they've decided instead of being strong in their stance of who can adopt from them with LGBTQ um, people, they've said, no, we'll adopt to anyone now. To me, I, just my own honest personal opinion, they should just drop the Christian from their services. Bethany services, that was who they would be now because they don't want to stay the course They'd rather blend into culture because they don't believe that they can survive this shift in our country if they don't start to just blend in with the rest of the nation. They think, of, oh, we're going to have to do this or we're not going to exist. No, if they would stay firm to the Lord, they would be fine. And the same goes for the church. And I say not just this church, the church as a whole. If we stay firm to the Lord, we will navigate and make it through whatever happens. It doesn't matter because no man can stand against our God. And so therefore, no man can stand against us. I'm going to give you a little bit of a glimpse into the end of the story or a spoiler alert. This is what it says in Revelation 6. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. That's Jesus. And from the wrath of the lamb, Jesus. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Joshua didn't even know about this. Going to be written by John thousands of years later. These who can stand? No one can stand. These people who had rejected God for all this time, they're hiding in mountains, praying that the mountains would fall on them because they'd rather be crushed by mountains than they would to face the Lord our God. But who can stand? I'll tell you who can stand. Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After, I, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's who can stand. He saw everyone that couldn't even number. We were standing before the throne. That's who can stand. We can stand, but we have to stay focused on the Lord. This could not be a clear direction for us as a church is that right now in our culture we must stay the course we cannot let sin draw us in and pull us to the world and think that it's going to be okay we have a victory that's already been won for us in Jesus now we just have to keep marching forward and do that so who can stand against us no one but hear me if you're here today and you are unsure of your own salvation you don't know that if you're truly a Christian I will tell you who can stand against you, and it is Jesus. Because when it says that he was sitting on the throne, that he's the, he's the judge, he really is. And one day, whether it's you pass away here on this earth or he returns, you will, all of us will have to stand before him. And you'll either be found righteous in him because of his work on the cross, or you will be committed to his wrath. It doesn't have to be like that. He has been victorious over death and sin by dying on the cross, going to a grave, and rising again. And the Bible's clear. Just confess him as Lord and believe in your heart that he died and rose again. Follow his ways. He wants to save us. So if you're here today and you're not a believer, there's nothing better you can do than to give your life to Jesus, to truly follow after him and commit your life to him. So we're going to pray. 
If you're, if you're not a believer, like I said, man, th- this would be the time. Find someone in this room and talk to them. Grab me after service or Jeff or Paul or somebody and, just, and talk to them. Man, I want to know more about what it means to be a Christian. And if you are a Christian, we're going we're gonna to take communion in a second after I pray. And I just encourage you to, to just to fast and think back in the goodness of what all that God has done in your life and just all throughout history. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you love us. God, help us to remember the goodness of you, Lord, and all the victories we've seen in our own life. And God, then to just to know and to look forward to the victories that you've already won for us because of your work on the cross, Jesus. God, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that you will save them, that you'll work in their life and just draw them into you. For those of us who've dabbled in sin and we're believers, God, I pray that you forgive us, that you help us to stay the course, to not lose track and to take our eyes off of you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11 concerning communion. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and said, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's proclaim his death. Let's proclaim his victory. Let's take communion and then let's stand and worship him.